We had a great time yesterday. It was a crazy, wild cacophony, I guess is the word for it. Man, it was just all over the place. And One end we were cooking burgers, the other end we were cleaning up cars, and then we got a garage sale going on, and everybody trying to find their spot. And It was just a lot of fun. It's the other thing with Jeannie there. They had, now, I don't know if you're like me. I looked at that painting and I said, looks like a $5 painting to me. But some people have better eyes than I do, and they found out, no, it's, it's, it's closer to, you know, three or $400. So it was a, that was a nice thing. So if the person isn't here today that donated it, well, they donated. That's great. Yeah, isn't that great? Yeah. That's good stuff. But we wanted to make sure they knew because sometimes you don't know what it was you were giving away. We want to make sure you know what your gift is, and you can rejoice in that. Uh, we're talking about this issue of joy, and that kind of feeds us into it. We're walking through the book of Philippians, so I want you, if you have your Bibles with you, to turn to the book of Philippians. And this is an expository study that we're walking through here, so we are simply trying to understand what Paul was trying to teach the church at Philippi. And what we see over and over and over again in this particular letter that he sends is this concept of how to understand and implement the wonderful fruit of joy into our lives. And so that's the overriding theme of this entire book. And last week and the week before, actually two weeks before that because we dealt with fathers last week and that wasn't very joyful at all. But the two weeks before that, we discussed this issue of understanding that God has called us with a purpose and an understanding and that he's given us certain directives and how we're supposed to be responding one to another. And that as we follow those directives within our calling, if we act like who it is that we've been chosen to be, then we discover this joy that begins to well up into our lives and we find ourselves smiling and laughing and enjoying all that God has for us. And I call that affirming your calling. Today, in the second chapter of Philippians, Paul changes a bit of the focus and it begins to help us to understand that not only do we need to affirm our calling, not only do we need to affirm our calling, but we also need to recognize the attitude that we need to have in our life responses one to another and our response uh, to Christ. So the way I put it this way is, if the first secret of joy is to affirm our calling, and when we affirm our calling, we find ourselves able to live over circumstances instead of under them, and we find ourselves able to live out our beliefs rather than hide from them, and that's what happens when you affirm your calling, who you are and what you've called to be, then the next step is about an attitudinal step. The next step is we need to check our attitude. If we don't have joy in our life, but we know what our calling is, then we need to take a look at our attitude and say, what's going on here in relationship to our attitude? And there's really a couple different spots in this idea of attitude. One is about body attitude, your attitude towards the body of Christ. And then, uh, secondly, the attitude that comes into place here in relationship to your spirit. How's your attitude in relationship to your spirit? And then lastly, how is your attitude in relationship to your leader, in relationship to Christ? Because sometimes we get irritated at God and say, God... I don't really want to do this. I don't know why you put me in this position, and I'm really irritated by it. And that's referred to as a bad what? Yeah, exactly. And if you have a bad attitude, you will lose your joy. So you have to decide what it's worth. What is it worth? So today we're going to talk about this, developing what Paul calls the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. That your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus' attitude. That's Philippians 2.5, which is our primary verse for the day. Your attitude should be the same 
is that of Christ Jesus. Now, let me see if I can give you a broad picture here when we talk about this attitude. I call it basin theology. An attitude is reflected through our basin theology. Theology is how we act out what we believe. And a basin kind of uh, is, is where something is located that, that we use. Best example, I can say Jesus. He finds himself with a basin in his hand. We see him in his last response to his leaders, those who he's called out. And they've been walking with him, and they know who he is and what he's all about. And he pulls out a basin, he puts a towel over his head, and he begins to one by one wash their feet. Now, you can imagine how difficult that would be for you. Think of it right now. Jesus shows up here, and he begins, takes out a basin and begins to wash your feet. Yeah, I was, the other day I was over with somebody and her feet were sore. And I said, oh, here. And I put her foot on me and I gave her a little foot rub. And she was like, are you really doing this? This is amazing. I've never had anybody do this. And I thought, hmm. Jesus washing my, I would, Lord, I, I'm kind of a Peter. Let me wash your feet. That would be great. But you washing my feet. I, I just, and Jesus says, no, you need to allow me to do this. You need to understand what life is about. That when you're in a, put in a position where you have the upper hand, you choose to use that upper hand to serve those around you. Now, later on, we see another basin. And this basin of water is standing in front of Pilate. And Pilate, as he hands over Jesus and chooses not to use his power to overcome wrong, he puts his hands in it and he washes himself with it. The first basin is one where you wash someone else's feet. The second basin is where you're busy washing yourself. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, so that when God provides you with a basin, you don't use it just to wash yourself. Use it to wash other people's feet, to care for them, and to serve them in a manner that displays that you are like Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Let's read that together. Actually, I'll read, and you can follow. How's that? Does that work? So I'm going to read through that first 11 verses, so we'll have a handle on it. Therefore, since you have, or if you have, any encouragement from being united with Christ, and if there's any comfort from His love, any common sharing in the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, well, of course there is. He says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Instead, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Or as the other text says, not looking only to your interests, but also to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus had. Have that same attitude, who though being in nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, something to be held on to or grasped a hold of. But instead, he gave. He made himself nothing. He took on the nature of a servant and being found in human likeness and appearance as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God highly exalted him, brought him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. That the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God 
and the Father. Wow. That's what we've been singing about. I so appreciated Justin's directive to us there and helping us to understand the wonder and the glory and the majesty of God, that this God who loves us so much that he would give up everything that he had so that we might be able to gain something instead of being languished in death, that we might be able to, to go up in life and then to, to live out life after that into heaven. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. If you've lost your joy in your life, right now, some of you have lost your joy. I know you have, because some of you are frowning all the time. And I say, you lost your joy. You say, what happened to my joy? I lost it. The first thing you need to do if you lost your joy is you need to affirm your calling. You need to go back to chapter 1 and walk through those areas and understand what your calling is and how you're supposed to respond as a result of that calling. And then when you come to chapter 2, you need to take a look at your attitude. So first I affirm my calling and then I take a look and check my attitude. So Paul starts off with this issue here. He says, joy really shows up in our lives when we are united with Christ. And the way we see if we're united with Christ is we have the right attitude towards his body. And you are the body of Christ. See, that's how I tell. How am I doing with the body of Christ? With his children. No, with his body, literally, he tells us, this is the reflection of Christ, those around you. How you're responding one to another is the same way you're responding to God. So Paul says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship, if any tenderness and compassion, take on this attitude. I'm a singer. I, I come. I got a background. I used to sing a lot, and I was a worship leader for quite a while, and did the whole thing there. And I really love to sing. But God gave me about a seven voice, so it's pretty good, but it's not great. It's like, oh, gee, you got a great voice, Lee. And I'm thinking, that's nice. If I sing the right song, it's pretty good. But that's about it. I, I have a. God didn't give me a nine or ten. He gave me a seven, and that, that's great. But I love to sing. And the worship leaders, what, I like to stand in the front, and they always know, boy, Pastor Lee's into it. And I go, oh, yeah, I'm always into it. I'm singing away and having a great time and worshiping God. And I, I thank God that he gave me that, that ability and that power. Uh, but I recognize that sometimes I'm not singing the right song. And that was one of the issues. I had. Sometimes I'd be like, uh, we, we start singing this song, and I'm actually singing the wrong one. I'm, I'm thinking I got the right song. It's a wrong song entirely. And I'll talk about that more in a minute. But when we talk about songs of unity, you need to make sure that you're singing the right song. And, and the first song here, I kind of did five songs here. The first song is a song of encouragement. Encouragement. And so when we're singing, we need to sing songs of encouragement. This is my wife's gift is encouragement. So she's always irritated when people aren't encouraging other people just drives her nuts and the biggest thing drives her crazy if they're not encouraging other people um, in first timothy 5 1 he says don't rebuke an older man harshly but exhort him as if he were your father and the word exhort actually means encourage just come alongside to stand next to them to show them what they need to do to carry out the tasks that god has set before them it's the idea of a friend who sees another friend struggling in a competitive match and they need some stimulation. We call it, you know, so, some people say that you have the, the sixth player in basketball is, is all the fans, right? And they recognize that when we have all these fans, that it stimulates us and encourages us onward. And that's the picture of encouragement that he's talking about here. It gives them the courage to finish the race that God has called them to run. Sing a song of encouragement on a regular basis. Then he says sing a song of, of comfort. Song of comfort. Uh, Another section, Paul says, the father of compassion, the God of all 
comfort. He comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. So when people are in trouble, they need desperately to have some comfort. I found in my life the primary time when I'm willing to be comforted is when I'm what? Can you guess? Yeah, in trouble. <laughs> when I'm in trouble, I'm willing to... When I'm in trouble, I need comfort. Whether I'm sick, you know, whether I'm struggling with an issue, then I, I, I need comfort. Other than that, I tend to go, I can do this myself, whether I can or not. But when I'm in trouble, boy, I appreciate people coming alongside and giving me some comfort. And sometimes it's just a simple pat on the back and say, I'm so sorry. Go, yeah, me too. It's awful, isn't it? Yeah, it's really terrible. I go, man, I just, I just hope somehow I'll, I'll get through this and someday I'll be able to have nice Nike tennis shoes like my son has instead of these cheap, you know, you're getting the idea. So you, you need to have some comfort when you're in times of trouble. And I said, what do you do with this when people are in trouble? Well, the first thing, you need to point to God and then you need to pray with them. So sometimes see, when people in trouble, oftentimes people ask me, what do you do? I say, well, first thing you do is you point them to God. Whether that be a scripture or, or just an awareness or sharing with them. And then, and then you need to pray with them. And you say, I don't know what to pray. Well, don't worry about it. You'll, have, you'll know what to pray. You start praying, you'll know what to pray. It'll come to you. You'll understand what you need to say. It's just maybe something very simple and very subtle. And that, that's just all you need. You need to point and, and you need to pray because our God is a God of comfort. And he says, look, it, point them to me. Pray with them, and, and then you can leave, and I'll stay. And God stays, and he tends to kind of fill up the room, and they get comfort from the God of all comfort, as opposed to my minimal comfort that I can give. That's part of the spiritual calling to have this attitude. It's an attitude that reflects comfort. Another song is a, called a hymn of fellowship. He says, uh, fellowship, if there's any... Uh, fellowship with the Spirit. And we don't use this word much anymore, the term fellowship. It's the word koinonia is the word, a little translation. And uh, he used to have a guy with me, and, he, and he'd do this. He'd take out a quarter, and he'd put it on his knee, and he'd say, koinonia. And I went, oh, yeah. I said, okay, that's supposed to be fellowship, koinonia. And I, went, I said, well, maybe it's sit on her knee. I don't know. But you get the pictures on a partnership. It's the sense that we, we join together in our times of difficulty and struggle. That a, a struggle shared together, when we cry together, it cuts the struggle in half. It cuts the struggle in half. And when we, and when we laugh together, it doubles the victory. And that's the picture, this kind of attitude that says, I want to be a partner with you. In fact, that's, the word is also translated fellowship, partnership partnership, this idea of togetherness and, and commitment, being joined together in, in our suffering and our struggle. And so oftentimes what we're called to do is to, to walk with somebody who's in a time of pain, not to walk away from them, but to walk towards them. And that's why I tell you, you need to list the people when you say, hey, how you doing? And you need to stop and listen when, they, when you ask that question. And that'll surprise many people to go, okay, you're really asking me? I say, well, yeah, how are you doing? And they go, I'm not doing so well. And now you have a choice, don't you? Now what am I going to do? Am I going to be a partner? Am I going to encourage? Am I going to comfort? I'm going to say, hey, catch you later. And walk away. Or, man, 
I'll have some time later to get together with you. If you're going to ask somebody how you're doing, I really think this is what you've got to do. You need to listen to what they say. And if they say, uh, then you need to talk to them for a minute. And sit down with them. It won't take that long. And share with them and maybe pray with them and point them to the God of comfort and remind them that he's in control. They'll be okay. And God will work it out. And that you'll be there for them. And that's usually all they'll need. And I appreciate that so much. Now, don't overdo it, by the way. If they if they say, how are you doing? They say, oh, I'm okay. You say, oh, really? And they say, yeah, I'm okay. That means you can go on. Okay? So that's okay. Move on there. But recognize what are they saying to you and then respond to them appropriately. And to a great degree, how much of a friend do you have here? And then maybe the spiritual song here, song of compassion. It uses this term, compassion. We need to be involved in this with our attitudes. We need to have compassion, this tenderness and compassion that's a result of the unity of the Spirit that comes into play there. Um, this text from Isaiah, He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. Isn't that interesting? I, as I looked at it, I said, hmm. Uh, earlier we mentioned that God's a God of comfort and He wants us to point to him and to, and to pray with them. But in this case, this is a particular direction relationship to guiding and leading. And oftentimes people misunderstand the word compassion. They think compassion is this sense of, oh, 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 <laughs> That's not compassion. That's emotion. Compassion guides and leads. Compassion says, what can I do to help? Okay, I've got my car here. We'll get you over there. Hey, I'll take care of this situation here. We'll get in the middle of this thing here. Don't, don't worry about it. We'll pull this all out. We'll make it happen. You see, that's compassion. Compassion is active in its responses one to another. Compassion guides us and leads us to springs of water, to refreshment. And we go, thank you so much. I didn't know what I was going to do. Compassion says, hey, let me be there in the middle of that. And compassion oftentimes does things that are very, very difficult for the person we're involved in. Um, Tim Miller talks about his nine-year-old daughter, Jennifer. And boy, I, I related to this one. He talked about they went on vacation. And on vacation, she, she got sick. And they took her to the hospital. And ended up they had to take a spinal tap. Nine-year-old. And she's like just hurting. And he's with her in the hospital. What's going to happen, Daddy? What's going on? He said, it's okay. They're just trying to make you feel better. And Okay, okay. And, and so the doc says, okay, we need to take her into the room, and we're going to have to do this spinal tap, and it's going to be painful. And she's crying. She's going to be painful. And dads are like, oh, man, you're killing me. What, you know what you want to do more than anything else? You want to get away. Okay, doc, you take care of her. But compassion says, I'm not going anywhere. And so the doc turns to Tim and says, do you need to stay in here with her? He says, oh, yeah. And holds her hand while she cries and says, Daddy, why are you letting them do this to me? Like, oh, it's for your good. It really is. It really is. And it'll be over in just a little bit, and we'll stay right here with you. See, compassion guides and leads beside springs of water and stays. That's compassion. That unites us in our attitude one to another. And the last word he uses is tender-hearted or, or affectionate. Second um, Corinthians says, "And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers uh, that you were all obedient, receiving him with 
fear and trembling, this tender-hearted. And I thought, tender-hearted, the word literally means easily bruised. Easily bruised. And I, boy, I don't know how many people I come up to that say, well, you know, they really hurt me. And so, therefore, I will never... You, you got it, didn't you? Open up to them again. And they become hard-hearted instead of tender-hearted. And, and the cry of, of Paul here says, stay tender-hearted. Be united in your attitude. Even though you're going to be bruised, it's worth the bruise. Don't close up. Don't allow yourself to become something other than what God desires for us. You see, before you came to Christ, your heart was hard and you were unwilling to receive or interact with these emotions and these interactions with other people. But now that you have been changed and God made your heart tender, He said, do not allow it to be hardened again. Stay affectionate. Stay tender-hearted. Don't become hard. Despite the pain of the experience, the experience is worth the pain. And that's what he's trying to teach us and tell us here. The joy comes out of hiding when we unite ourselves in body and we express this attitude. So we unite ourselves with the body of Christ and we express this attitude that's reflective with these particular areas and issues that we've laid out here. And then he moves from there and he starts talking about the spirit next because he's not willing to let us go. He says, you know, if you've lost your joy, you need to affirm your calling and then you need to check your attitude in relationship to your spirit. Let's, let's pray here for just a second. Uh, Father, we thank you that you are a God who not only directs us in terms of our actions one towards another and the need for that, but you're also a God who understands our spirit. You understand our tenderness, our struggle, our question, our, our irritation, and, and you, you have a handle on it, Lord. And I know you grasp that, and that's so difficult for us as physical people to know how much our spirit affects us. And we would ask that today you'll continue to teach us of this truth because we want to have joy. Help us understand how to check our attitudes, how to look at them clearly, and then how to get out of trouble. Thank you as you do that. And we ask that in your son's name. Amen. So this first idea is that, you know, we've we got to sing these songs. And I said, so you're trying to sing the song, but, but the next thing about singing a song, and that's why we really appreciate people like uh, Justin and, and Robin and some others who have these wonderful voices, you know, so you, you get to listen to them. Anytime you, you just be quiet for a little bit, you get to listen to these great voices like, that's so sweet. I get to hear this wonderful pitch that comes out. And, and the difference between a good voice and a bad voice really is just tone and pitch. That's all it is. And you can sometimes you listen to the person next to you and you're going, man, am I glad they're not up front. <laughs> now, I don't want you to turn to the person and say that, so don't do that. You just thought it, though. <laughs> Boy, am I glad. That, because, you see, God has given us certain gifts and abilities so that we can, uh, in terms of our attitudinalness, reflect a tone. Uh, he says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. And, and I, I think there's like five tones in our songs that bring harmony and unite our spirit. Um, there's nothing worse than flat, sour sounds. Go hear people singing karaoke, you know. Uh, do, do you like American Idol in the beginning? They always have these people that come up and they go, yeah! and you look at them and you go, and they say, wasn't that great? And you think, are you serious? And they're serious. They're serious. They really believe they sound good. They're so tone deaf, it's in another world. 
It's incredible. But they think, and they'll walk out to these wonderful, you know, masterful artists of, of sound and voice and say, they don't know what they're talking about. They're so stupid. They can't even hear a good voice. You know, they wouldn't know a good voice if they heard it. You're going, really? And these same people have watched this show over and over and over. And they have no idea. They're the ones they watched and laughed at. And what's happened is they've failed to unite their spirit with reality. And God calls us to unite our spirit. And these these tones bring about this wonderful completion of the song. These songs that bring unity with the right tone. He says, you've got to have the same mind. You've got to have the same mind. I, I, I remember when Jesus is talking to Peter, and Peter says, Jesus, I don't want to hear anything more about you going and dying on the cross. And Jesus turns to look at him and says, Get thee behind me, Satan. Now, Peter's comment seems to be, he, he just loves Jesus. You're not gonna, nobody's going to kill you, Jesus. It's not going to happen. You're not going to go to death. And Jesus said, don't you understand what my calling is? Haven't you? That doesn't give me any comfort for you to tell me, don't do what it is you've been called to do. We need to be of the same mind. That our mind is on God's interests and not our own. That's how Jesus finishes. He says, you're a stumbling block to me because you're setting your mind on God's interests. Whose interests? Not man's. Ah, actually the exact opposite of what I just said. Did you get that? You're setting your mind on man's interests instead of God's. You're focused upon what you think is right rather than what God tells you is right. And the question we need to ask is, how has God made me? What has God called me to do? And why am I here? We need to have the same love. Uh, Judges, this is a great verse. You might want to look it up. May they who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. I love that quote. Like the sun when it rises in its strength. Sacrificial love warms us when we're cold. Shares a blanket. See, we're building this... This community that has practical and powerful responses. I, I, was, I was driving by the fairgrounds just the other day and it's got a, got a thing going up and it says, Three Dog Night is Coming. Yeah, you know, some of you younger ones are going, Three Dog What? Well, that was a group and, you know, and people on a Three Dog Night, you have to be from, I, I'm, I spent a number of years in Alaska and so I was there. A Three Dog Night is, is in reference to how cold the night is. A One Dog Night means that it's a fairly warm night and the dog can sleep on its own. A two-dog night means that the dog has to sleep back-to-back or side-to-side. It keeps them warm. But a three-dog night means it's honking, freezing out there. And you have to get three dogs together, and they mutually share, and all three dogs will be all joined together. And that's where the title comes from, Three-Dog Night. Now, this is sweet, though. Tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. What is their number one hit? Someone says, Jeremiah's a bullfrog. No, that wasn't their number one. One is the loneliest number. Isn't that great? One is the loneliest number. I thought, three dog night, one is the loneliest number. I thought, oh, God's got a sense of humor. I just think that's, I just, I just think that's one. And God calls and says, you need to have the same love one to another. You need to recognize when somebody's cold and how to bring warmth into their life. That's what love does. It brings warmth into the life of people around us. And you have the same purpose. You have the same mind, God's mind. You have the same love, God's love. You have the same purpose. 
the same purpose, the same intention that God has given you. And we talk about our purpose here at, at Lighthouse, and that's to, to love God, you know, and to love others as we lead them to God. And, and that's it. It's really all we're called to do. We're supposed to love God and love others as we lead them to God. That's all we do. Uh, there's really nothing else. And that's what Jesus Christ tells us over and over and over again. That's our purpose as we deal with all these different issues. We try to unite people with other people so they can more effectively love God and, and love others. And sometimes what I do with you, I, I try to bring you towards people that I think you can love easily. Now, some of you will figure this out. What do you mean, Pastor Lee? Well, if, you're, if you tend to be a science teacher, I want to plug in with another science teacher usually. If you're a computer guy, I want to kind of plug in with another computer guy. If you're a, a, if you're a gym teacher, I'm going to plug in with Do you see what I mean? We're trying to get you with people that are easier to love. Because what I've discovered is this, that everyone's easy to love if they're like me. That's what I've discovered in life, is that people who are like me, I love easily. Have the same mind, same attitude, the same spirit uh, that God had himself. Uh, so this issue of, of harmony, he's going to build a little bit more, a little bit more about harmony and the singing. And uh, One thing I've noticed with, with singing, and you notice it today, is that truly great singers, people who have marvelous voices who... God is gifted with, you know, nines or ten voices. They, they, kind, they usually know it. They, they try to be nice. They, oh, thank you so much. They know. Okay. They've heard it often. They know they must be special because everybody keeps telling them. That. After a while, they figure out, I must have a really good voice. Yes, you do. And what they tend to do is they help other people whose voice isn't as good. So this was the trick. People used to say, boy, Pastor Lee, you've got a great voice. And I said, well, the trick is simple. I would align myself with people that had a nine or a ten voice. And I would sing with them. And I sounded so much better. <laughs> People go, wow. And I go, yeah, if I sing with them, I sound really good. Because interesting enough, they had such sweet pitch and such nice tone that when I would sing with them, mine was elevated. And I could hear far better than I normally could. And so my voice was much better when I sang with them. And, and that's the cry uh, of this passage here. He's saying that when we choose to, to unite our spirit, to harmonize one to another, we elevate ourselves. We begin to synergize. We, we become far more together than we ever could have become alone. But the call to us is that in order to do this, you've got to listen to uh, the tone. The Lord's trying to tell us this. He says, do nothing. This is verse 3 and 4. Out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, earlier I said, do that person knows they have a good voice? Well, to be truthful, I have met a few who don't. It's kind of like sometimes you run into this really gorgeous person, guy or gal, and they don't know it. Now, how often does that happen? Not very often. But when you do, it's like, wow. They really don't know. Huh. Isn't it interesting? And when you're around them, they seem to elevate you. They elevate you. And in their lifestyle, whether it be sports or whatever, they elevate you up. And that's the cry of God. He says, you need to make it your ambition to lift up others around you, to use this base in theology to help others to serve those that are in you. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands. You need to have the same ambition. And the ambition is this. It's to make other people successful. 
my ambition begins to make other people successful in whatever they're doing or, or however they're doing it. And they have the same humility, same humility. He'd start off right in the beginning of the, uh, the first chapter, right off the bat. He calls himself a slave and you a saint. And that's the picture. It's humility. It's called, you're, you're a saint, I'm a slave. And you're like, hold it, Paul. You got this mixed up. You're the, you're the guy. I'm just... And he goes, no, 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 you want, you know, no, I'm a slave and you're a saint. I'm here to serve you. That's why God has called me to do, just as he served us regularly and consistently. Have this attitude. Who is wise? Who has understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. And so joy begins to show up in our life when we have this humility and ambition and purpose and love and mind that's a spirit thing. It, it, it's a spirit. It's not, it's not as practical. It's a spirit. It's an awareness. It's a commitment to. It's a, it's a desire to serve one another. It's a base in theology in our life that says, I am here to take care of you. You're not here to take care of me. And we begin to try desperately to outserve one another. And then life begins to be something in which we begin to look at and we say, what is my calling? How does this all come together? And Life begins to make sense to each one of us in our struggles and our difficulties. And we begin to see beyond the initial hurt and pain and struggle. Because other people with this wondrous attitude of Christ help us to see it. We have someone who's from our area here, Bethany Hamilton, and a wonderful young lady who had a terrible, terrible experience. Uh, A shark actually bit off her arm. And... The resulting crisis was one in which she had to go through a point in time in which till finally she discovered uh, in a wonderful way that what had happened, this horrible, terrible thing, God turned into an incredible, wonderful, marvelous thing. Watch this clip. Recognition in our life is that life isn't fair and it never will be and you're not going to have all fair things happen to you. The question is, what kind of attitude are you going to have in relationship to it? Uh, when you lose your joy, the first thing you've got to do is affirm your calling. This is what I'm called. This is who I am. This is what it's about. And then after you do that, you need to check your attitude. So when you lose your joy, the first thing you need to do is what? You need to what? Affirm your what? And then you need to check your what? Because we need to affirm our calling, check our attitude. See, that's the only thing you need to get from the message. Is those, that's all you've got to get today. Firm your calling, check your attitude. There's a body attitude, there's a spirit attitude, and then the last thing, there's a leadership, a leadership attitude. See, joy works out when you're united in leadership. When the one who is directing and leading us is the one who had the right attitude. So your attitude should be the same as what? As Jesus is Christ. Your attitude is supposed to be the same as his. Who, being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be held on to. But instead, he made himself nothing and taking the very nature of a servant. He is the eternal one, the beginning and the end. He never changes. He knows everything and he has all power. But he doesn't choose to hang on to this position. Instead, he sees who he is as someone who can enable others to live, the only one who can, and he gives us his life by giving up his position 
and humbling himself because he understood that his purpose was more important than any position or privilege he could ever have. And he had the highest position and the greatest privilege that was ever there. But he said, that is not what was important. What is important is what needs to be given up in order to accomplish the purpose that God, our leader, has set before us. So being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So he gave up his rights so that we would have an opportunity. He died so that we could live. And therefore, it says, God exalted him. God lifted him up. God granted him and put him back into this wondrous position, higher and greater than he'd ever had even before, and gave him the name that's above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and earth. And under the earth, and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The attitude. See, that's the attitude that Jesus had in relationship to the body, in relationship to his spirit, in relationship to all that are around him. And therefore, he had this amazing, incredible, glorious joy. And that's what happens to us. Joy shows up when we're united and it speaks up when we take our part and it makes sense when we follow the leader. Now, what I mean by that? Let's see if I can get this last thought to you. Periodically, I have people say, something terrible will happen. I'll say, oh, praise the Lord. And I'll go, what did you just say? Well, praise the Lord. Just praise God anyway. I'm going, let's make sure you understand what you just said. Somebody was hurt terribly. And they're having to deal with this horrible situation. And you're saying, praise the Lord. And then usually they'll say, well, what I meant by that is, well, then say what you meant by it. Say what you meant by it. Which is that God can use this horrible situation of losing my arm and turn it into a wonderful opportunity that will cause hundreds, even thousands to discover who he is and what he's all about. And as Bethany would say later, if my arm being given up will do that, take both of them. Take both of my arms. I can live with that. We have the same leader who makes sense in life and how we respond to life. And if it doesn't make sense, it may be because you're not getting a handle on it, what it's about. It doesn't make it easy. It doesn't make it right. But it does make sense. So you can look at the cross, and you can see Jesus hanging on it, and you can say, it's not easy, and it's not right, but it makes sense. It makes sense. Have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. When you lose your joy, boy, affirm your calling. Grab a hold of it. Look at it again. Who am I? What purpose has God called me to? How has he made me? How am I involved in that? And then secondly, check your attitude. How's my attitude 
And if you do that, and you do it sincerely, what you'll find yourself happening is you'll find yourself in front of your leader and saying, God, I am so sorry. I lost sight again of who you are and what this is all about. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And as you do that, everything will begin to make sense. And joy will well up in you in such a way you'll go, oh my goodness. I'm crying and I'm rejoicing and I'm thanking God despite the fact that what has happened to me is awful, but what's going to come is wonderful. Father, thank you for this opportunity we've had today to listen to your word and to this wonderful man who you set aside to speak to us. Paul was given such a gift, Lord, a gift of understanding and intelligence and the ability to pull it all together. We thank you for this word that teaches us so much. And we ask that you'll help us not just to understand and comprehend it, but to respond to it, Lord. Give us the ability, when we lose our joy, to affirm our calling and then to check our attitude. Thank you as you do it, for we ask it in Jesus' name.